I've, I've talked around this verse a few times uh, in the last couple of months, and now I've just decided to talk about the verse. Uh, it's, just one, it's just one tiny little verse. You just think, you know, Bible's a big book. Just one verse. What harm can one verse do? How can one verse affect you in any way? Well, let me see. Uh, turn to Galatians 5, please. And we're going to look at verse 13. If you're wondering, uh, if you're regular here, by the way, and you're wondering where Andy and Teresa are this morning, Andy leads uh, the church, Andy and Teresa lead the church, and uh, their daughter, Kezia, got married yesterday. Um, to Joe Hall, yeah. a magnificent man, um, and I'm particularly relieved to be able to announce that because I was the one who married them, and uh, you, just, just, you know, just the fact that I can say that they are now married just represents a weight lifted from my shoulders. You know, everybody remembers their wedding day, but you just don't want it to be for the wrong reasons, do you? <laughs> You don't want it to be for that ginger twit who couldn't remember the vows. But fortunately, fortunately, we got through it, which was great. Um, okay, we're in Galatians 5 and verse 13. It says this, Paul says this, writing to uh, this group uh, of this kind of region uh, of churches. For you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. Um, amen. Uh, yeah. It's great. Uh, well, I mean, I would like to say that it was a happy coincidence in the Lord that I'm speaking on this verse uh, when Jan has just made the announcement that she has. But in fact, it's entirely by human design uh, that, this is, that this has happened. Um, and you'll also notice that whereas um, Jan mentioned that she was going to stand by the door, I've asked that uh, the little sign-up sheets that, uh, that she was going to a man down at the door would be brought up here because very, very often we ask people to respond uh, to, to messages, and I'm going to ask you to respond today as well, but I'm going to ask you to respond uh, and commit yourself if you are not so committed now, and if you choose to be so committed uh, to helping out in, in various ways um, this family. Uh, and I want to speak into that really through this verse. For you were called to freedom, brothers, only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. I'm going to need a lot of help this morning, so why don't we pray? Uh, Lord Jesus, yeah, let's just open, open our hearts to God, close our eyes and open our hearts. I've said this a few times, but I really mean it. I don't know if you're like me, but when the preacher prays, often I just kind of shut down and get myself comfortable. Um, but I really ask you just to open your heart. I'm, I don't know about you, I'm not interested in hearing another great message, you know, or another average message. Um, what I want is God. Yes. I want to hear God speak to me. I want God to speak to you. Jesus said the Holy Spirit would be our teacher. 
Uh, notice he didn't say that Phil Ford would be. He said that the Holy Spirit would be your teacher, which means we're needing him to speak to us this morning so that we can learn and be more like Jesus. Isn't that right? So let's open our hearts. Lord Jesus, I thank you for your presence among your people. I thank you, Holy Spirit, that you are here and that you love us and that you are just as Jesus promised. You are our teacher. Lord, I thank you for how you've spoken to me through the years that I've known you and you've changed my life, Lord. God, I can hear a hundred preachers and get not much from them and then you can give me one word or one line, and it changes my whole life. And God, I'm asking for that this morning. I'm asking that you would speak to people. God, I'm not trying to stir something up that is not of you. God, we're not into guilt, compulsion, or any of that nonsense. And I say that, Father, you know my heart on that, and the sincerity of my heart on that one. But I am asking that you would speak to people this morning. So we invite you, Lord Jesus, among us. Come and do your stuff. Do what only you can do in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Okay. You were called to freedom. You were called to freedom. That is uh, how this verse begins. Freedom is so valuable because it provides opportunities. The human race was created free. Uh, You look in Genesis, you see Adam and Eve. Um, You can see that that God created Adam and Eve and he made them free people. He provided for them all that they needed to thrive. Behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of the earth and every tree with seed in its fruit. You shall have them for food. He provided everything that they needed to thrive, and he also gave them a destiny to fulfill. He said, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea, the birds of the heavens, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. I wonder, if I, while I was worshiping, I was picturing what, what must it have been like to have been Adam and Eve? You know, when you're there, when things are born, it is, it's, a, it's a life-changing moment. I mean, I can testify to that. Seven weeks ago, I saw my daughter being born. And, I mean, she's only one person. And it's, it's changed my life. It's blown, I don't think I'll ever recover from it, in fact. <laughs> Fortunately, Lizzie is, but I don't think I will ever recover from seeing a whole person come out of another whole person. (laughs) You know, I've said a few times, it's like Russian dolls, do you know what I mean? It's like, you've got a big woman and then you've got a little woman, and you only used to have a big woman. You know, it is an absolutely mind-blowing thing the kind of newness of life. And you, you look on this little thing and you think, man, nobody has ever seen you before. And you feel so privileged because you feel like, man, I, I'm one of the first people ever to look on you. And, and you're, I'm one of the first person that you, people that you ever look on. It's, 
it's a mind-blowing thing. And then I think, well, what must it have been like to have been Adam and Eve? You know, to have, to have looked at the world. You know, to have stood on the shoreline and seen, you know, the sea creatures leaping out of the ocean for joy and seen the, the snow-capped mountains and the birds in the air and the forest behind, you know, just teeming with life, the birds singing for the joy of being alive. What must that have been like to look on creation, to look up and see the stars in the, in the sky, the, the galaxies forming, and to think, wow, no one, no one has seen this before. And then to hear your father say, all this is yours. Wow. <laughs> you know, it's a bit like what, what the father said to the older son in the story of the prodigal. He said, you know, you're my son and, and everything I have is yours. There you are, Adam and Eve. You're my kids. And all of this is yours. That's freedom. <laughs> that is freedom. Think about that. Everywhere you go, this, this is, you know, I mean, listen, I live in the West End. To get a garden the size of an A4 sheet of paper costs hundreds of thousands of pounds. <laughs> you know, if you've got a window box, you feel really good about yourself. And here's Adam and Eve. And their father's saying, this is all yours. Everywhere you set your foot, it's yours. That is freedom. He provided all that they need to survive. He gave them a destiny to fulfill. He gave them each other to fulfill it with. It would have been pretty tricky to fill the earth with people if they didn't have each other. But crucially, he also gave them a choice. Because, um, of course, there is no freedom without choice, as we all know. He said this to them, You may surely eat of any, every tree of the garden, but of the, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat, for in the day you eat of it, you shall surely die. Now, let's not forget what I've just said. You know, picture yourself back on that seashore on that first day of creation. And you can have everything. But there's just, you know, think of the forests. Think of the oceans, the mountains, the rolling plains that go on after on and on and on and on. And God says, but there's just one tree. There's just one tree that you can't eat of. And because, but that presence of that one tree is so important because the one tree meant that there was a choice to be made. And it meant that he had made them free. And of course, we know this story. And we know that God created Adam and Eve so free that they were free enough to make the single worst choice in history. And they chose uh, to disobey God. Now, it was a, there is considerable irony 
in the reasons why they made this decision. If you look at it, if you look at the story in Genesis 3, what it boils down to is that Adam and Eve made the choice to go against God's commands because they became persuaded that God's love for them and his mission for them, in fact, wasn't freedom at all, but was limiting, was somehow slavery, was somehow a prison. You know, yeah, I know that you're saying I can have everything, but you know, if I was really free, I could also eat of this tree, this one thing. You know, I can have anything, but really, because I can't have this, I really think that that what you're doing is putting me in a prison. And, and the irony was, of course, that the, the presence of that tree was for exactly the opposite reason. It wasn't to show them that they were in a prison. It was to show them that they were free. That's why the tree was there. So that they would look at it and think, I've made the choice. I'm, I was free. They, they saw the tree and they thought the opposite. They thought it was a prison. And you know that that... That mistake that they made, people have been falling for ever since. We, we don't see the scale of what God has for us. We see the things that he tells us to avoid. And we look at the things that he tells us to avoid and we say, actually, God's way is not really the free way. God's way is a prison. And so we choose the wrong things again and again and again and again. And the irony is that when we choose these things, we think they're going to free us. In fact, they bring us into greater and greater measures of slavery. And we feel less and less free. Jesus said, truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. The human race, apart from God, is in chains, and the key is just always just out of our grasp. But if the Bible tells us anything, it tells us this, that God wants to set people free. You know, you think about the story of the Hebrews in slavery in Egypt, And you think about him sending Moses. And you think about the miracles that followed that man. And what was it really all about? It was about his people being free. He loves freedom. You think about Israel's history and the messes that they got themselves into. And how judges turned up, sent from God at regular intervals. And you read them and you think, what was that all about? And you think, well, it's because God wanted his people to be free. Freedom is such... A big deal to God. And you see Israel suffering under bad king, bad king, bad king, bad king, and then a good king arrives. And he sets the people free. And then Jesus comes along and says, you'll know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Paul says, the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. 
Paul writes in Galatians, you were called to freedom, brothers. And I want us just to dwell on the scale of the freedom that we have. We are free. We're free from all punishment. You are free to live your life as you choose to. And in Christ, you see, this is the remarkable thing, that Jesus took all the punishment. He took all, all, like, you know, imagine there was like a, you know, there was a, a, there's a set amount of punishment that was due for the human race, for all the messes that we make. Oh, Jesus took it all and didn't leave any left over. So there's none for you. Regardless of what you do, do you understand this? Do you understand that you are free? That, that there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus? You're, you're totally, totally free. And freedom is such a big deal in this church. We love it. We talk about it all the time. Some of you are sitting there thinking, I know. <laughs> Phil... I've heard you talk about it before. But it's such, it's such an important thing. Freedom is such an important thing. And I, I want to encourage you to dwell on this idea that you are free in Christ. That you have a Father in heaven who loves you. Regardless of how you live. He loves you because you're in Christ. You, you are spectacularly free. You're ridiculously free. It's like you're standing on the shore on the first day of creation or of recreation. And God's saying, oh, this is yours. You're free to dream. You're free to pursue your dreams. You're free to, to hear from God and go for it. There's nothing, there's no, there's no um, entanglement of sin. There's no cultural expectation. There's no, none of, all of these things were wiped, for, were wiped clear at the cross. You're free. What are you going to do with it? You are free. But I want to say this, that if you read the second half of, of the verse in Galatians, you are called to freedom, brothers, only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve, serve one another. You realize that freedom itself is a neutral thing. I mean, we love it. But here's the reality, it's a neutral thing, freedom. It provides an opportunity for love, or Paul tells us the flesh. In and of itself, freedom is only a good thing because of what it gives an opportunity for. Intrinsically, it is a, freedom is a means to an end. And the end is the thing. Freedom is a high value in this church, but it's only because there is a higher value, and that is love. 
And love, as I said to you a few weeks ago, is impossible without freedom. I teach an amazing school, and the wisdom of the people who set that school up meant that they wrote into the Constitution that it had a Christian ethos, which means that I have incredible opportunities there. You know, I've run the Alpha course there, and we have guest speakers who come into our assemblies, and it's an amazing thing. It's an amazing privilege to work there. But there is something about the school assembly which rather grieves me on this front. And this experience may resonate with you. Um, a couple of times a year we have what's called a hymn practice, uh, where all the teachers are not required to turn up for assembly, but... Um, the, the head honchos of the school get all the pupils in uh, and teach them in no uncertain terms how to sing. Uh, because, of course, we've got you know, a big service coming up and you know, you've got to get it right. And uh, I once, though, uh, a few years ago, stuck my head into the assembly hall to, to watch this happening. And there is just an amazing irony about watching one of your senior management colleagues walking down the aisle saying, on the count of three, you will sing Love Divine, All Love's Excelling or you will be on detention. (laughs) And I stood there and thought, what is going on? Love is impossible without freedom. Listen, you can get, let me tell you this, you can get 700 kids to sing Love Divine All Loves Excelling with the threat of detention hanging over them. But you can't get them to love it. You can't get it to rise up in their heart. You can't get genuine worship. You can get community singing. But you can't get worship because worship demands that you have chosen it. Freedom is valuable because it gives the opportunity for love. And love is the purpose of freedom. That's why when Paul writes to the Corinthians, he says that I can speak in the tongues of men and angels, but if I've not got love, it doesn't mean anything. I, I can have prophetic powers, but um, you know, I can understand all mysteries and all knowledge. I don't, incidentally, as you've probably <laughs> realized by now, but I could, hypothetically. But if I don't have love, I don't really know anything. I could deliver up my body to be burned. Wow. I could be martyred for the cause. You think, you can't possibly mean this, Paul. Is this really what you mean? But if I don't have love, I gain nothing. <coughs> love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things endures all things. Love 
never ends. Faith, hope, and love abide these three. But the greatest of these is love. The greatest of these is love. The next thing that Paul's verse tells us to the Galatians is that, uh, that love looks like something. It's one of, uh, I think, Heidi Baker's favorite phrases. And Heidi Baker is one of my favorite people, um, which is why I'm quoting her. Love looks like something. She says, but through love, serve one another. It looks like something practical. It is not a philosophical or hypothetical statement primarily. That is not what love is. Love is primarily an action. It's something that we do. I think it was massive attack. That great, you know, these great philosophical, theological geniuses who said love is a doing word. And they were right. Love is a doing word. It's something that we do through love, Paul says, serve one another. Now, let me say this. It is possible to serve, but not through love. And we are not interested in that kind of service. It is possible to be the older son in the prodigal son story who stayed at home and who did what his father told him to do and missed the heart of it entirely. And that is a tragedy because we are supposed to be, if nothing else, people of the heart. It was the heart that was the problem with us before we got saved and it was our hearts that were made new when Jesus came to us. I'll take out your heart of stone and I'll give you a heart of flesh. We are people of the heart or we are nothing. But it's possible to serve not through love. But Paul is saying through love, serve. Love looks like something and it looks like service. It looks like doing something for someone else that... They either can't do, would be hard for them to do, that they maybe are struggling to do. That's, that's, that's service, or it's nothing at all. So it involves sacrifice. It involves you doing something perhaps that you're not really that desperate to do, so that somebody doesn't have to do it. This is Jesus, isn't it? This is the gospel, isn't it, Johnny? Jesus doing for us what we could not do ourselves, live a perfect life, die the death that we deserved so that we could have the relationship with the Father that he had always enjoyed that starts today and goes on for eternity. That's the gospel. Love always looks like something. Love always looks like service. And service always means sacrifice. And the other important thing that I want to draw out of this verse is this. That he addresses 
the Galatians as brothers. For you were called to freedom, brothers. And that word is unbelievably important in this verse because the context of this exhortation is in God's family. We are a family. Are we not? We're not an organization. We're not an institution. We're not a club or a society. We're a family. We're not a group of like-minded individuals. Some of us are not very like-minded at all. (laughs) We are a family. And isn't that true about families, that they don't always see things exactly the same way? But they're a family, and they love each other. And I want to say a few things about our family in this context of serving. The first thing is this. We refuse to live in unreality in this family. The Bible teaches that we all have a unique call and destiny, and if we don't do what God is asking us to do, then that thing just simply doesn't get done because no one else can do it, because no one else can be you. And we are not going to live like that isn't true. We're not going to live that like we can afford for 20% of the people to do 80% of the work. We're not going to live like that. Because that's not what the Bible says. The Bible says that you have a unique call and a unique destiny. And if you don't do what you have been given to do, then it won't get done. Because only you can do it. And we're going to live like that's true. We're not going to manipulate people. We're not going to guilt trip people. But we're also not going to allow people to burn out. So we as a family cannot live beyond where our corporate heart is as a church for serving one another. We can't do it. So if our corporate heart as a church means that we can only serve tea and coffee once a month, then that is what we're going to do. Because we refuse, or we are going to refuse to allow the same people to serve us initially from love and then a bit stressed and then a bit burnt out and a bit weary. We're not going to do it. We're going to live what's real and where we are. The other thing I want to say is that We're trying to grow here together a kingdom culture. And that is a radical, radical thing because we live in a consumer culture. And and the way a consumer culture works is this, that people use resources and then blame other people when things go wrong. That's how a consumer culture works. So, I expect you to do this for me, 
And if it doesn't work, I'm going to blame you. And that's what our culture is like. And listen, that is not a light to the nations. So we are going to do something different. We're going to live, or we're attempting to live, a kingdom culture, which is one of service and responsibility, rather than drain and blame. You know, Jan referred to the 80-20 rule, and so did I. And the 80-20 rule, I don't know if you've heard it, but it's a kind of management speak. And what it says is this, in any organization in the world, 80% of the work will be done by 20% of the people. And, you know, I'm sure, you know, you guys are all involved in different organizations. Maybe you're involved in a a, a workplace, and it's exactly like that. (laughs) There's a small number of people who seem to do all the work, and everybody else just sits on Facebook. You know, that kind of situation. Um... But listen, that is the world. And if heaven to earth means anything, it means that it's not that. Because actually, do you know what? There's, there's, digni- there's too much dignity in people for us to allow them to just be passive. There's, there's, there's too much value in what they have to bring for us just to allow people to, to, to kind of coast you know, I, I am so jealous for the, the destiny that is in every single individual in this room that I refuse to allow an 80-20 situation to persist. Because I know that I cannot be all that God has called me to be unless you are all that God has called you to be. I need you. I need you desperately. To be all that you can be in God. We're trying to build a kingdom culture. And you know what? It's really at odds. It's countercultural because our culture is consumer. And it, you know, when we, we crunch and we change, you know, sometimes it's painful. Sometimes it's, it causes us to feel a bit uncomfortable. But listen, this is good. This is a necessary part of the process because God is doing something so wonderful among us. And so I want to ask you what you're doing with your freedom. Do you know what people did with their freedom yesterday? Friends of of Joe and Kez, out of their free love for them, served that couple in the lead up to their wedding and on the day of their wedding and so that they could get married and actually so that everybody could, in the end of the day, have an amazing party. And I looked at that party and thought, man, what a picture. This is what the church is supposed to be like, that we all serve one another so that each other's dreams can be fulfilled and that in the end we all get to have a party. That's what it's all about. Not, not a party for 80% of the people and 20% of the people clearing up PA <laughs> while everyone else is doing the Kaylee. 
No, no, everybody having a party. You know, in the body of Christ, we have, we really suffer from drawing distinctions and lines where the Bible does not draw distinctions and lines. You know, so we often, we talk about word and spirit. And I know what we're trying to say, but the problem is even by saying word and spirit, we kind of make it seem as though you can be in one camp or another. When you think, well, actually, if you read the words, it's full of the spirit. You know, and if you have the spirit, you'll follow the word. Isn't that, that's, that's, not, that's not heresy, is it? <laughs> so we, we tend to draw lines between them. And I, I'm slightly fearful that actually we might be in danger of drawing another, just a different kind of line. You know, we've spoken a lot about apostolic, the shift between pastoral and apostolic, that pastoral environments are primarily concerned with caring for people. And apostolic environments are primarily concerned with transforming culture. And actually, the church needs to shift between a pastoral environment and an apostolic environment. I understand what is being communicated in that. But listen, we've got to be so careful because really what we need is an apostolic and a pastoral environment working together. Or we're finished. (laughs) Seriously. And by the way, we need an evangelistic environment as well, and a teaching environment. The Bible doesn't draw a line, and nor should we. And sometimes we can draw lines between, like, what is a spiritual thing to do, and what is a non-spiritual thing to do. And we can feel like, you know, I don't know, the kind of... I've got, I really don't want to draw another line while I'm saying this. <laughs> but you understand, what, you understand what I'm saying, don't you? You're understanding that for some people, you're picking up a bit of litter on the way into church in the morning because in their mind they're thinking, actually, a visitor is going to turn up and I want this place to look good. They wouldn't necessarily make that connection. They maybe don't think that that was spiritual. But it's worship. It's worship, and God loves it. This is our family. This is, this is our family meeting once a week. You know, uh, I don't know how it works in your family, but in my family, when I grew up, my mom basically raised four kids on her own. Let me tell you, that is an extraordinary achievement. I've got one, I'm happily married, and we think, my goodness. How, how on earth she did four kids on her own, I'll never know. But the way it worked was that we all pitched in. And we, we all learned to do stuff. Because mum couldn't do it all on her own. And that was just the way it worked. You know, you didn't kind of... Mum didn't cook the tea, we all just came and sat down and then we walked away and left her to clean up the dishes. That would have been rude. Apart from anything else, that would just have been rude. You know, if that's what it's like in the natural, then brothers and sisters, come on. This is God's household and we are his family. And this is unbelievably practical. 
man, alive, I've gone way over time. I need to stop. But I want to challenge you. If you are in this, if you count this as your family, you know, if, you, if, you're, if you're regularly part of Hope Church, then I want to ask you, what are you doing with your freedom? This is a free environment, but what are you doing with it? Are you, are you using the opportunity that your freedom affords you to, through love, serve? Are you? And I want you to think about it. I want to think seriously and soberly about it. And then I want to ask you to respond. Out here on the tables, there are different folders, and they have a different team on them. Here's how this works. If we all volunteer... We don't get called upon more than once a month. Maximum. This is how it works. But the fewer number that volunteer, the more these poor souls have to do. And I want to I ask you to take a moment, and then if you feel stirred, not if you feel guilty, not if you feel manipulated, if you feel, if you feel oh, actually... I can make this loving choice. Then I want you to come up, and I want you to write your name in the sheets in these folders, and somebody will contact you and get you involved in a rota. You know, all of life, God is interested in, isn't he? He's interested in all of us, and we've got to be real. Because if we're not, then... What on earth are we doing here? This is Glasgow for crying out loud. If we can't be real in Glasgow, where can we be? <laughs> Amen. 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 Amen.